Well, I invite you now to turn to our scripture reading this morning. You want to turn over on page three if you have your bullets in there, uh, or you can go to Numbers chapter 21 in your Bible. We've been studying through the book of Numbers here on Sunday mornings. This period uh, in, the, in the wilderness, God's people have been rescued from Egypt, but they're not yet in the promised land. This 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And by the time we get here to chapter 21, it's at the very end of those 40 years. The first generation is dying off in the wilderness. The second generation beginning to take uh, their place of prominence. And we come to one of the, the more familiar passages in Numbers, uh, as we saw in our scripture reading this morning in, in John, one that Jesus himself refers to. So let's read it together. Numbers 21, verses 4 to 9. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worth, worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among them, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would use your word to encourage and to strengthen, to show us the glory of your son Jesus. But we do ask it in his name. So as we were reading in John this morning, there was this, this Pharisee Nicodemus, a teacher in Israel, one who knew the Old Testament, an expert in the Old Testament, and he comes to Jesus wanting to learn more, and Jesus is telling him about what it means, how one can enter the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus is completely confused. Remember his question, how can these things be? And did you notice how Jesus really chides him? He says, you're a, you're a teacher in Israel. How, how come you don't understand these things? The, the, the way of salvation, the way of entry into the kingdom is right there in the Old Testament, Jesus essentially says. And to show it, to demonstrate it, to prove it to this teacher of the Old Testament, he turns to Numbers 21. This account of the, of the bronze serpent being held up on a pole, and he says, there it is. Or more significantly, there I am. Uh, there is this picture, the shadow of the, of the work of Jesus, that those who look live. Uh, and so this morning, we, we, we look to Jesus uh, for that same life. Through the picture there in the wilderness of the bronze serpent held high up. But also this morning, uh, we'll follow things up with another picture or set of pictures. Uh, the Lord's Supper is really a wonderful time to study this passage because 
We have an Old Testament uh, picture of Jesus, and here we have a New Testament picture of Jesus. Right? His, his broken body, his shed blood, pictured in the elements, and we'll see the exact same message from the Lord. Uh, the message is, look to Jesus and love. So let's uh, take a look at God's word, Jesus in the midst of Numbers 21. We'll make a, a four key uh, conclusions and observations about the bronze serpent and see how this is all for us uh, about the Lord Jesus. So the first is this, the bronze serpent is for sinners. The bronze serpent is for sinners. So by the time you get to Numbers 21, it's been almost exactly 40 years that they've been wandering through the wilderness, right? Set free by God's power in Egypt, but not yet in the promised land. Uh, God's been leading them every step of the way, providing for them every step of the way. Uh, but we told, we're told in, in verse 4 and 5, they, they're getting impatient. Uh, the, latest, the latest episode of, of impatience seems to be uh, spurred on by the fact that they have to take a detour. Uh, the, the, the straight way to the promised land is blocked. That's through the land of Edom. Actually, the last chapter in Numbers describes how the king of Edom refuses to give Israel safe passage through. So they have to take a detour. But the detour takes them back to the Red Sea. And you can kind of, you can kind of hear uh, the internal monologue of, of God's people saying, Hold it, Red Sea? This is where we were 40 years ago. It looks like we're running in circles. And they're beginning to get impatient with what God is, is doing. Have you ever gotten to that point where God takes you on a route that does it kind of seems like you're running in circles and you think he's got to have it wrong? Something's wrong. And they begin to grumble. Uh, it's, it's very familiar, grumblings. We've seen this before. Complaining against God and against God's man, Moses. Uh, verse 5, you get some of the specifics they mention. Uh, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water. We loathe this worthless food. Right? The types of complaints we've seen, we've seen again uh, and again. The, the types of complaints that the, the first generation uh, committed, and now here as the second generation is beginning to take its place, the second generation is doing some of the same exact grumbling. Uh, one way to, to, to kind of revisit this and think about this afresh is to realize essentially what they're doing with their grumbling and their complaints is putting God on trial. Putting God on trial. Uh, they, they have a charge to bring against God, uh, essentially that he's being a lousy God to his people, uh, and they prosecute this charge, right? They have the charge, right, being a lousy God to Israel, and they present the evidence. Uh, clearly, you've brought us out of Egypt to kill us in the wilderness. There's, uh, there's Exhibit A. Uh, exhibit B, we don't have food and water, well, at least the food and water the way they want it. Uh, and they even mentioned some of the food that they God has given them that they don't like that. Hey, that's exhibit B, that God is doing a lousy job. Uh, look at this manna, this worthless food. So the charge, they present the evidence, and then they pass sentence, right? So not only are, do they act as the prosecutor, the, the prosecutor of the charge, they also act as judge and jury, and they find God guilty. Guilty of being a lousy God to his people, uh, Israel. They don't like the way God is doing his job. And so in their complaints, in essence, they prosecute this charge and find the Lord guilty. 
Um, can you relate to this? Can you, can you begin to think what, what so often is, is in our hearts, deep underneath the, the surface of our, of our grumbles, uh, that there is this, uh, this thing, this poison in our hearts that essentially uh, we want to put God on trial and find him guilty. Uh, and maybe it comes out in just, in just little complaints. Uh, sometimes we uh, do a good job of complaining about the little things. Uh, right, heat wave coming up this week. Uh, how many? How many of us are going to be tempted to complain about the weather? Right, oh, it's too hot, it's too humid. Ugh, you know, the winter it's too cold, too snowy. Right, but but again, think think about the the, the danger, even in little complaints. God, of course, the one who sends the weather, and 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 our reaction can, in the midst of our grumbles, can essentially be, God, we don't like the way you're doing your job. Right? If you really loved us as your people, it would look differently than this. Right? We don't like this route through the wilderness. And we're going to let it be known with our, with our complaints. So maybe it is about the small things, or maybe it's about the bigger things. Uh, maybe it's about the, uh, the, the job, or, the, or, the, or the, the financial course that you're on, or the, or the life course that you're on. You, you feel like your life was heading this direct way, and God is taking you on a detour, uh, it looks like you're headed back to the Red Sea, and, and there's this, this is not what I want, God. In fact, more than just not what I want, uh, this is you doing a lousy job. Uh, and sometimes that is the, uh, is, is the heart behind our, our grumbles or our complaints. A lot of times we tend to grumble against and complain about people, right? Usually the, most, the people we complain about the most are the people who are the closest to us. Uh, the people we're the, uh, the, the most uh, critical of and most nitpicky with. Uh, and, and essentially that too, those grumbles too, can have that heart of, of God, you're kind of doing a lousy job here. Because right? if you really loved me, this person would not be in my life. Or this person would be a lot different in my life. And I hold you responsible. There's that heart that, that drives things. Now we're not talking about feeling the hardships of the world. Uh, the, 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 the world, our journey through the wilderness, it is a wilderness. And there are hard things and difficult things. And it's not wrong for them to feel hard uh, and even to express uh, that hardness to, uh, to, to those who care about us. This feels hard. That's not wrong. That's actually acknowledging what is true. Right? To be a Christian is not to be a stoic. Everything's happy. Uh, no, everything's not happy. So it's not wrong to recognize that life in the wilderness is hard. What we need to, to watch for is turning that corner from, wow, this is hard, to, wow, God, you're doing a lousy job. Uh, and it's a, it's a subtle corner that we turn in our hearts, and, and, and we need to listen to our complaints as we do. But, but sadly, too often we do make that turn in our hearts. Uh, and, and we do prosecute those charges against, against the Lord. Uh, and, and we, the creature, want to put the creator on trial and hold him responsible. Uh, we, uh, we, those who are, who are under his rule, want to judge the judge. Uh, you can see the, the, the rebellion that's there at the, at the core of it. It is a kind of cosmic rebellion and really the core of what, of what sin is, uh, which, which then shows us why a, uh, what seems like a harsh judgment, like fiery serpents coming, 
uh, where people are bitten and, and die. Um, it's, it might seem harsh, but when you start to realize that putting God on trial and finding him guilty, that kind of cosmic treason against the holy God, well, that's, that's pretty serious. And as the Bible tells us, the wages of sin is death. And so God brings rightly, justly, uh, a, a harsh judgment, uh, but, but, a, but a realistic, deserved judgment. These serpents come fiery, not probably because they breathe fire. It could either refer to uh, the way they look, right? They're, they're kind of some kind of bronze color, color, so they look fiery. Or perhaps the, uh, the, the inflammation of the bite that gets, has a fiery look before someone dies. Uh, but probably not because they breathe fire. Uh, but anyway, the main point is God sends judgment. Uh, the judgment for for sinners, uh, and as and as they uh, as they look uh, at that bronze serpent, there they see uh, and have to wrestle with the fact that they are sinners who deserve death, and and that's the same thing we need to wrestle with, even as we come to the Lord's Supper. Uh, that that this uh, this shows us uh, the supper does what we deserve. That we we are those who deserve death because we've sinned against God, uh, we, and we need a rescue because because we are those who far too often uh, commit that kind of cosmic treason against God, and we need a rescuer. Uh, but but the bronze serpent is for sinners, and we need to acknowledge that uh, the Lord's supper sinners. Uh, we need uh, a savior. Can you admit, can you admit that truth? Uh, that you too, uh, not just at the beginning of the Christian life, but all along the way, are, are a sinner in need of rescue. That's part of coming rightly to the Lord's table is is recognizing, confessing uh, that sin, uh, grieving it, hating it, uh, because it's really that bad. The bronze serpent is for sinners. Secondly. Uh, the bronze serpent is given by God to save us from God. Here's an interesting facet of, of this, uh, this episode in the wilderness. That God sends both the fiery serpent and the bronze serpent. Now, he sends both the fiery serpent that brings judgment and, and the bronze serpent that saves. And there's no contradiction there. Uh, but but the ch- a real key truth about who God is. God sends the fiery serpent because he is the just judge, and he must punish sin. Uh, this holy rebellion, uh, or this rebellion against a holy God that's taking place in the, in the wilderness, uh, God can't cavalierly dismiss it. Uh, and, so, and so the wages of sin being death, uh, the fiery serpents are sent. Um, but yet it's the very same God. Uh, who who sends the way of salvation uh, in in his full love in his in his mercy and his grace? Uh, right. Notice verse eight. And the Lord said to Moses, "The Lord says, make a serpent and set it on a pole that everyone who looks and lives." Right. This is this is God's very plan. The very same one who sent uh, who announced the verdict and the judgment uh, upon them. This now sign of his of his love for his people, his rescue of his people, his heart to deliver them. So you have this side-by-side, this burning holiness, uh, but at the same time, a saving love. Yes, this is, uh, this is who our God is. And it also is this picture of, of salvation. It helps us understand what salvation really is. 
that the way of salvation, whether it was there in the wilderness or pictured here in the, in, in the Lord's Supper, uh, God rescuing us through his son is, is not primarily about God rescuing us from hard things in the world uh, or God rescuing us from uh, low self-esteem or God rescuing us from meaninglessness or, or purposelessness in life. Uh, the primary work of Christ is to rescue us uh, from God himself and the judgment that we deserve. Uh, that's the core of, of what salvation is. Uh, God rescuing us from his own holy judgment. Uh, and it's there, it's there in that very scene at the wilderness with the, the snake lifted up. And, and we see it again here at the Lord's Supper that we see, uh, we see God's justice and his love coming together. Uh, perfect in perfect harmony, all uh, to rescue an undeserving people, even us. Which brings us to uh, our third observation. The bronze serpent saves by being a picture of the curse. So here thinking about, okay, God's going to provide a way of salvation, but, but why this way? Uh, why this way, right? The, the image that they're supposed to look to and look and live is, is the picture of the very thing that's bringing the curse on them. The, the picture of a, of a snake, of a, of a serpent. Why that? Well, first of all, we can kind of back up and realize that the larger image of, of what a snake is uh, in Scripture and in their own, their own experience, the Israel in the wilderness. Now, remember in this very passage, their minds are very much on Egypt. Ah, oh, you know, if we could only go back to Egypt, why did you take us out of Egypt? We'd really like to be back there. Well, well, snakes played a very key role in Egypt. Uh, the, the image of the snake represented power uh, and, and authority uh, in Egypt. You might think of the, the, your, the automatic picture in your head of, of Pharaoh. You picture a pharaoh from the movies or a book, and what do you picture but that, that big headdress, which is a serpent, right, a cobra. It's because the, the image of the snake uh, in, in Egyptian mythology was, was all about power, uh, was that the power of God, the power of pharaoh, the power of Egypt. Uh, and here are God's people essentially saying, if only we could get back to Egypt, if only we could get back under the power of the snake, and, and, and the sad judgment that comes is essentially God gives them what they want. You want to be under the power of the snake? Here the snake comes in, in judgment. But the snake then becomes a picture of, of rescue. Actually, one more picture from Scripture of, of the snake. This might be the one that you think of um, quicker. Right? Serpent. Where's the first time we meet a serpent in Scripture? But in the Garden of Eden. Right? Same word. As, as Adam and Eve are tempted and then commit... Uh, that cosmic rebellion against God, that first act of, uh, of, of putting God on trial and complaint against God. God, you're doing a lousy job. You're holding things from us, this fruit. It's the, it's the serpent that tempts them, Satan himself. Uh, it's the serpent that, uh, that brings them under his sway. It's the serpent that brings, that brings death. Uh, and so it's, it's with all this in mind that it doesn't seem to be at all a coincidence that in the wilderness... Uh, the serpent becomes a key image. And, but now, to save, it's the serpent held high. Uh, it's the serpent lifted up on a pole. Uh, in the ancient world, to hold something up high on a pole is, uh, is a picture of power, and especially a god's power. 
uh, a standard uh, with an image. Well, here it's the snake held high. And so the picture seems to be uh, that of, uh, of, the, of the, the real power, uh, not, not with the, the snake pharaoh of Egypt, or even of Satan himself, but the real power is the God who, who sends the snakes and the God who defeats the power of the snake. That all you have to do is, is look uh, to God in faith, and the, and the power of the serpent is, is vanquished. The, the venom has no more effect. Uh, it's God having defeated the powers of Egypt, even the powers of Satan uh, and death itself. And of course, uh, you get that same idea with, with the cross of Christ as well. That, the, that the, the thing that we look to and are saved is the very picture of the curse, right? It's, it's the cross. And then we'll get to meditate on that as we take the Lord's Supper, right? It's not just a picture of Christ's body, but his body broken on the cross. Not just his blood, but his blood poured out, his blood shed. Uh, it's a picture of Christ bearing the curse for us. Right? It's exactly what Scripture says. Uh, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone uh, who is hanged on a tree. Right? So to, to look up to the cross of Christ in faith is to, is to look at the curse. Uh, it's to take in what we deserve. Right? I deserve that death. Uh, that Jesus is dying in my place. Uh, but Jesus held up uh, is, is this picture of God conquering it and conquering it for us. Uh, we live uh, because Christ has borne all the curse for us. And so uh, as you take the elements this morning, you can even meditate on that. Well, this is a picture of the curse uh, that, that I deserve, but, but it's been defeated and, and it's been poured out on Jesus so there's none left. For me. Uh, for all who look in faith, which brings us to our last point, how this salvation of God is received. Uh, the, bronze, the bronze serpent gives life as we look in faith. Uh, here's what God says, verses 8 and 9 of our passage. The Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Look and live. But you had to look. You had to look up to this serpent, this image of, uh, of the curse defeated, God's victory. You, you, had, to, you had to look. Uh, it, it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't contributing anything, uh, but it was an act of faith. Uh, it, it was... Uh, it was this look that acknowledges that you needed help. Right? There's a key part of what, of what faith really is. Uh, it's, it's looking to God, acknowledging that we cannot help ourselves. Right? So for an Israelite uh, to be able to look up, it would, they would have to acknowledge that there was no way they were going to heal themselves. Uh, that there was no other way. Uh, taking in the fact that everyone who else has gotten bitten, they've died, and that's going to be me. Uh, unless God and God alone rescues, and they look and they live. Uh, that's the core of what, of what faith is. It's humbly acknowledging uh, that, that we, we have no hope except uh, what Jesus gives to us. Uh, that we need not just a little extra help, not just a little extra help from Jesus, right? It's, it's, 
It's not just we're at the spiritual checkout line and, and we've fallen a little short and we need Jesus to pitch in uh, the difference. No, no, it's actually looking to Jesus is acknowledging we are completely spiritually bankrupt. We got nothing, nothing but a, a, but a ledger of debt. Uh, that's part of what it looks like to look up uh, to, the, to the cross and live. Acknowledge, acknowledging in humility we, we don't have it and can't contribute. And that's an important step at the very beginning of the Christian life, right? And maybe that's for you for, for the very first time, acknowledging and seeing that there is no hope of rescue and life apart from, uh, apart from God rescuing you. So you confess your sin and your worthlessness and your, your need for full salvation. But that's what we do every step of the Christian life, every, every way along the, uh, every part along the road. Uh, we never graduate from that. Uh, in fact, that's why we come to the supper again and again. In some ways, it actually, that kind of uh, humility in faith, in some ways gets harder as we go along in the Christian life. It's one thing at the very beginning to acknowledge, okay, I, I, need, I need Jesus. But, but, you know, 10 years in, 20 years in, 30 years in, we like to think we've done a little bit since then. Like, like we've grown, like we, we have a little something to our credit at this point. Uh, that, that, that certainly, okay, I still need Jesus some, but, but I'm doing a little better than I was. I got a little more uh, spiritual uh, money in the bank account. Um, yeah, probably, uh, probably you can prove this to yourself, that you're tempted to bristle against that kind of humility. And usually the, the way that brings it out is, uh, what's your first reaction, your immediate reaction, when someone is the slightest bit critical of Someone uh, points out something they think you've done wrong, uh, or, or implies or states you need to grow in some area. What's your immediate reaction? Uh, I, I bet, it's like me, that the immediate reaction is no, 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 not me. And you begin to make lists in your head, uh, the, the, the list of all the reasons why they're crazy and ridiculous. Uh, the list in your head of all your spiritual accomplishments. Don't they know what I've done and I'm continuing to do? Uh, right? Uh, and so it's, it's, it's this, I know, I, me? Right? It's, you see that, that lack, that challenge with humility, that struggle with humility. Uh, deep down, we, we don't uh, just want Jesus. We want to be able to have some of ourselves in there. Uh, okay, I, I want Jesus a little bit, but I want Jesus and Husband of the Year Award. I want Jesus and Father of the Year Award and Worker of the Year Award. I can have both, can I? Look how hard I've worked over these years. Right? Uh, but see, we can't have Jesus and our pride. Uh, it's all one or all the other. You can't have Jesus and your Person of the Year Award. It's for to look at the cross and live is to acknowledge really at every step of the way. Uh, even though God might, through His Spirit, have a, have he might have enabled you to do some wonderful things for the Lord and, and in your life and your family. But that was all him and his strength and his grace. It's none to your own credit. And still, uh, you, you, have, you can acknowledge, yeah, I, all I have is really is Jesus before the Lord. And that's enough. And that's enough. That I can, that's the look to him uh, and live. Uh, and that's what saves. That's what brings life. That's what, what being a, a treasure of God's grace and God's power and salvation is all like, all about.
Look and live. Look and live. That's the that's the rescue. That's the antidote uh, for for our, for our sin, for our problem, uh, and and God's free, powerful way of salvation. And as we go to this New Testament picture here this morning, we see all these elements bound up in it. Uh, we see a picture of, of of why we so desperately need a rescue, because we get a picture of the curse as it fell on Christ. But we also get a picture of how it's how it's free, how, how God just hands it uh, to those, Christ just hands it to those who have nothing, uh, who just receive it by humble faith, uh, life, life in Christ. So the call to you, to me, today and every day is look and live. Let's pray. Father, we do ask that you would graciously renew our hearts with the glory of your Son and the greatness of who Christ is. We pray that we would we would rest in him and, uh, and say to ourselves, Lord, that is enough. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would even use, Lord, not only your word preached, but, uh, but the good news presented in, in the supper to strengthen and build our faith, we pray. In Jesus' name.